Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, the Berry Center in Henry County, Kentucky. To many, the Berry name is synonymous with many things. Wendell Berry is, of course, one of the most recognized novelists, poets, essayists, and environmental writers living today. The Berry Center, established in 2011, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing focus, knowledge, and cohesion to the work of changing, according to the website, our ruinous industrial agricultural system into a system and culture that uses nature as the standard, accepts no permanent damage to the ecosphere, and takes into consideration the human health in local communities. And the Berry Center programs, the work of educating young farmers being advanced by the Wendell Berry Farming Program of Sterling College, a collaboration between the Berry Center and Sterling College. The Berry Center is home to Our Home Place Meat, a beef program patterned after the tobacco cooperative model, which ensured farmers made healthy profits and kept money in local economies. And then we have several other initiatives we, uh, initiatives we will talk about today. Today, you will hear from marketing manager of Home Place Meat, Beth Douglas, the Dean of the Wendellberry Farming Program of Sterling College, Dr. Leah Bands. But first, we will hear from Executive Director of the Berry Center, Mary Berry. Welcome to you all. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. Mary, tell us a little bit more about the Berry Center. Um, well, I, I, I can tell you that, that we started in the same, for the same reasons that my father says that he's an essayist, because um, some, of, some of us were just afraid of what was happening, um, afraid <laughs> that what was happening in rural places and particularly to our home place, Henry County, Kentucky, was uh, the bad things were getting worse and uh, the bad outcomes were coming faster and we were losing more and more farmers and so on and more farmland um, and more small businesses. Um, there's, not a, there's not a little town in Henry County that's not dead or dying. Um, so I went to my father and said, I'm worried about uh, the education of young farmers. I'm worried about the fact that we've forgotten the Burley Tobacco Program. Instead of learning from it, we've just relegated it to the past if we've even, even thought of it that much and so on and so forth. I had quite a list. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, it sounds like you're starting a center. And I said, well, maybe I'm uh, going to start a center. And a couple of years later, I did. And so um, I just, along with the wonderful people that I have worked with now for 10 years, I just began on what was right in front of us or me to do. Um, went to work, um, as my father says, from the ground up. 
And um, so 10 years later, we're still here, which is kind of miraculous. And um, we're doing some very good work, I think. And I uh, thank you for your interest in it. Mary, you said uh, what was happening to the small towns in Henry County, mm-hmm. but I would think that that would also apply to small towns in Kentucky and the nation also. There is no question. I think you can even say that it's an international problem. I think you could say that rural cultures and small anything is suffering. Um, But I think to go to work responsibly, one needs to uh, certainly think about the bigger picture, but figure out what one can do in their own place. Um, Figuring out what you've got to work with, for one thing, Um, uh, and then just go at it. And um, I think it's important for people to go to work where they are and for people to have made the commitment to not only work in the place, but also um, live with the outcome of your own work. Um, That would make a big difference, I think, (laughs) if people thought that way. Think of all the things people wouldn't want to do if they had to live with the mess. What what are some of those? um, Ruinous is a a strong uh, adjective, Um, is a a word that... uh, to some might connote uh, a damage, um, uh, ill will. Uh, And when you say uh, and use that in your uh, mission and and vision statements, uh, what sort of, uh, give me an example of what's happening to small town uh, Kentucky, or let's just say small town USA. I certainly will. Um, Ruinous, I think is exactly the right word. And there's there's nothing that is being done. I mean, well, I say that um, I have an inherited vision. I also have an inherited vocabulary. And ruinous is a word that my father has certainly used um, many times in his writing and speaking. Um, Henry County, the Henry County I grew up with was Um, a farming county, an agrarian county, no question about that. And in some ways, I think to people who come here to visit, it still looks as if it is. But I can tell you this, that in this agrarian farming county, we have by our friend John Logan Brent, who is the judge executive in Henry County, we now have one farm family making a living farming. One. So you think about what that means. Um, Beth will talk, Beth Douglas will talk in a few minutes about our home place meet. But uh, the young farmers who are in that program are working full-time jobs other places in order to, or, or as my father says, for the right to farm. So we have an economy that will not allow people to make a living farming. Um, That seems to me just completely ludicrous. And what it's led to is ruinous. Uh, Three quarters of 1% of people in this country are farming. Three quarters of 1%. Um, 15% of us now live in rural places. And of course, of that 15%, um, most, most of them aren't farming. 
in our area, it has meant that our, uh, our, our communities have begun to fall apart. That, that happened, that was really exacerbated by the end of the tobacco program, I think. But also that our places aren't, um, we're a bedroom community for uh, Louisville and Frankfurt and other places. I accept fully um, my father's idea that food is a cultural product, that a good culture, a good agrarian culture produces good food. Uh, so therefore, um, the food that we're getting in this culture is the food we are, <laughs> are we deserve, I'll have to say. So, um, so the demand, the great demand we hear about uh, for local, fresh, organic, delicious food farmed in the way that people who aren't, who aren't farmers, but do some thinking about these things, want farmers, want farmers to um, think about, you know, soil erosion, toxicity, uh, and so on. The demand for that delicious food going up has met the rural culture coming down. And uh, my husband, who is a lifelong farmer, says the local food movement hasn't even hit the countryside. And, um, so um, we have a ruinous situation. Um, in rural Kentucky, we lost the tobacco program for many reasons. Um, but one of the biggest reasons was that was health, the, the idea and the fact that tobacco is not healthy for people. I make no argument that it is healthy. I know it is not. But I think people aren't thinking about what we traded it in for. We lost uh, an economy that su supported good, diversified, small farming. And we traded that in for the toxic, erosive, um, raising of corn and soybeans. On Mary, if you would pause there just for a minute and yeah. bring uh, some of our listeners up to date on uh, the tobacco cooperative, on the tobacco buyout, uh, just a, a brief history uh, on uh, how we find ourselves uh, in this situation today, which really began many, many years ago. Um, and developed and uh, into what it is today and why you use that as an, a good example, if you will, of, of, uh, of what we lost. Um, well, uh, the tobacco co-op, the buyout, uh, all of that is history. Um, it's all in the past now. Uh, the Berry Center uh, was started to continue the work of certainly my father, but also of my grandfather, John Berry Sr. and my uncle, John Berry Jr., both of whom really uh, gave their lives, their working lives, to the health and well-being of small farmers in Kentucky um, in, in and with and by their service to the Burley Tobacco Co-op. That co-op, um, Leah, 1942? That sounds... Yes. My grandfather wrote the principal, um, the legislation mm -hmm. that became the tobacco, the Burley Tobacco Program. That was a program that 
protected the protected parity price, meaning a fair price for farmers by controlling the supply of tobacco. And so in 19, in the early 40s, my grandfather took the remnants of, of attempts that people had made in Kentucky to keep tobacco farmers from um, making nothing for their crops. And he, he and his allies took what had been done and pulled together what was the Burley Tobacco Program. That meant that um, for many, many thousands of farmers in Kentucky and the eight state Burley Belt, they had an asking price. And for once and for a while, they were protected in the marketplace from um, you know, many, many farmers, just a few buyers, that is always a recipe for disaster. So when we lost the program, we lost all of that. And we, we being the powers that be, said farmers will throw them out on the free market. They'll be fine. Kentucky farmers can outcompete anyone. Well, the ruinous, um, the losses that I spoke of as ruinous just a minute ago have exacerbated since 2004 at the end when the program ended. So we've taken the principles of the program, protecting farmers in the marketplace from um, overproduction. And we believe that to protect, uh, protect farmers from, uh, from um, the ravages of overproduction, it's the only way to do it and keep a parity price. And parity meaning they get back cost of production and make something that amounts to a living wage. My grandfather uh, compared his work with the Burley Tobacco Program um, with the work of others on behalf of other working people, the 40-hour work week, um, minimum wage, and so on, that farmers deserve that sort of protection. And we can certainly see what happens when we don't have that protection. We lose farmers and we lose farmland at, uh, more and more quickly. And you mentioned uh, when the uh, tobacco uh, co-op went away, mm -hmm. uh, more corn, uh, more soybeans, uh, and it was not um, enough or managed in the same way to provide a proper income uh, for a farm life. Is that correct? That is in part correct. The, it's farming that does not suit our marginal um, landscape, for one thing. Also, during the lead up to the loss of the program that, that as I said, happened in 2004, certainly in the 90s, many of us took up entrepreneurial farming of one kind and another. We knew that tobacco was threatened. We knew we were going to have to try to figure out how to do without it. And many of us benefited from those entrepreneurial enterprises. Um, my family and I certainly did. Um, but the demand for all of that local food that we were encouraging, we, we were encouraged by, and we encouraged our farmers to look at. We put no structure around it whatsoever, and we still haven't. 
So what we've said to farmers is you can be small and entrepreneurial, meaning you can go to farm markets, you can have CSAs, you can do all kinds of enterprises, or you can be large and industrial. Those are the two systems that we that exist now and are possible for you. What we're trying to do at the Berry Center is take, take the example of the Burley Tobacco Co-op, which by the way, um, the Dairy Co-op Organic Valley um, took, also used the tobacco program as an example. And um, Organic Valley has kept many, many farmers, small dairy farmers, maybe the most threatened farmers, um, healthy and um, stay economically stable for a long time now. This can be done. There's no reason it can't be done. So we have, we've done the same thing, but we've used, we've taken, or excuse me, we have started with um, beef production. So um, that's, that's what we're doing. And um, so far. That's that's home place meat. And um, we'll talk to Beth Douglas about that uh, right now. If um, she can tell us about that program as if we didn't know anything about it at all. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Beth, uh, that's uh, Mary sort of uh, teed up this next part of the, the conversation for us. What is home place meat? So our home place meat was started in 2017. And we are hoping to spin off from the Berry Center to become a livestock co-op here in Henry County. We are using the principles of the tobacco co-op as a basis for our program. And we set production standards. We pay a parity price. We create a contract at the beginning of every year with all of our farmers so they know how many animals we intend to buy and at what price so that they can make plans for their farms. And we actually buy the live animals from them and we have them processed at Trackside Butcher Shop in Campbellsburg, which our local, our local processor is vital to the success of this program. And then our job here at the Berry Center is to keep the program running, but also to market the meat. Um, our farmers just want to farm, and a lot of people are great at entrepreneurial farming, but our farmers just want to farm, and we take the sales of the meat off of them so they can do what they love to do. We work with what chefs want as a distributor to restaurants in Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati, and seven states around us. And we also have a market here at the Berry Center called Our Home Place Market. Beth, what is the difference in the model that you are practicing and you have uh, put into place? And uh, let's say uh, something that might be occurring in another state or the western part of the state or in Cincinnati or Indianapolis, where, where do they get their meat? If Lexington, Louisville, Frankfurt uh, restaurants uh, and your meat is available to, to families uh, to put on their table, what's happening in other places? Is that where we get into the notion of industrial or large scale operations? Most of our meat does not come 
from a local farm. A lot of it is coming from feedlots out west. So we are providing healthy, locally sourced food to the communities and to the families around us. We don't finish meat here. In, um, typically in Kentucky. Typically in Kentucky. Right. At weaning weight, that meat, which has been the beef, cattle, which have been very well raised up to that point on outside on grass is shipped to feedlots and joins the sort of horror that the commodity beef production world is. Our flagship meat is Roseville and that's a weaned calf. Um, they're usually nine to 11 months old. It's not conventional veal that you think of where it's a baby taken from its mama and put in a cage and fed formula. These are happy calves that live their lives in green pastures with their mothers and drink mother's milk. But then they're just harvested before they're one year old. And that's the, the name comes from the rosy color of the meat. And that's a grass fed product and it's very healthy and delicious. We also have berry beef now available through what chefs want, and that is a finished beef. And that's another program too. That's another title, What Chefs Want. Uh, is that correct? That's our distributor. That's your distributor. Okay. All right. So you're providing a job, jobs, uh, you're providing uh, income to, to that organization uh, distributing the meat. Yes. Yeah. Um, we can come back and revisit uh, a lot of this, but I want to turn to uh, uh, Leah uh, Bands, who, uh, first of all, let me ask you, uh, Dr. Bands, uh, although I, you're a Kentuckian, uh, and, uh, but now you're dean of the program Sterling College, when did you first learn of Sterling College and their interest in the partnership that... Um, that has been established? Well, um, it's, that's a great question. Uh, I started working with the Berry Center back in 2011. Um, the program that became the Wendell Berry Farming Program uh, was one of the first of two initiatives that the Berry Center undertook, the first being the archive, uh, the agrarian archive of the Berry Center. And um, at that time, the Berry Center had already established a partnership with a small Dominican college here in central Kentucky called St. Catherine College, a much beloved place to many of us. And at that time, I started uh, as a newly minted graduate of the University of Kentucky. I also would like to mention I am indeed an EKU alum um, with a background in English and environmental studies. Um, I started benchmarking uh, sustainable agriculture programs across, especially across the United States. Um, one of the unique characteristics of our program is that we are a liberal arts rooted uh, uh, agriculture program, um, which also emphasizes experiential education. And so as we were designing the curriculum based on many conversations uh, with the Barry's family with people in the community and um, 
and you know identifying the the, the needs for this kind of education um, in in higher ed. Uh, I I looked at Sterling College's curriculum and I said, wow, this is a, a place that. Uh, at least on paper, seems to be doing so many of the things that we're setting out to do, which is very, very rare in all of agricultural education. And I, at that time, said, gee, it's a shame they're in Vermont because we are a Kentucky-based program. Um, we're serving Kentucky. We're serving Kentuckians, especially um, generational uh, folks from generational farming families here in the state. And so kind of put that, put that on kind of in the back of my head and also use their curriculum as we were able to, to, you know, to kind of help uh, form an idea of what we were doing here in the state. Um, when St. Catherine College um, uh, closed in 2016, which was devastating on many levels, um, we uh, at the Berry Center decided to take a step back and say, okay, what are the lessons we learned? What did we, what were we really able to accomplish with that first iteration of the curriculum? And uh, what, what, do, what shape do we hope that the program can take now? Um, and, and with whom do we want to partner? Do we want another educational partner? Are we going to, or are we going to suss out something that's entirely different? Um, at that point, our friend Fred Kirschenmann uh, recommended to us that we have a conversation with Sterling College. He was familiar with the work that they had done, uh, that they do and have been doing for decades now. Um, and again, Mary and I had the feeling of, well, this is, you know, this is all well and good to know that we have a kindred um kindred collaborator out there, but they're in Vermont and we're in Kentucky. We're not moving out of state. This is, this is a program that's really thoroughly rooted here. And so um, one thing that I should mention is that in the course of this deliberation, um, uh, Tanya Berry, uh, Mary's mother and Wendell's wife, uh, had said, well, the program ought to be in Henry County. And what I have discovered in these years of acquaintance with Tanya Berry is that she's usually right. And <laughs> also usually gets her way. So, you know, when she said this, we didn't disagree with her, but we didn't understand how that could work. Um, and so when Matthew Durr, the president of the college, uh, came down to talk with us, um, one of the first things that he also said is, well, you've got a campus here in Henry County. This ought to be here. Um, let's let's figure out how we could, um, ex, you know, to one of the one of the ways that we think about our um, the Berry Center's work in general is that we're we're really dedicated to um, you know programs that scale out rather than scaling up the you know in the kind of the traditional economic model you know there's there's that kind of vertical integration right the idea is to scale up. Uh, our our kind of ethos is to scale out. You know, we want to. It's it's part of the reason that with our home place meat program, we want to include as many farmers as we possibly can in the program. So instead of taking the entire herd for one pro farmer from uh, two farmers, we say let well, we'd like to we'd like to involve you in the program. So we are contracting for a portion of that herd, and then it is able, we're able to kind of scale out and share um, 
share the wealth, so to speak. Um, and, and in our case, we were really interested in, in, in scaling out that kind of educational experience. And so we forged the partnership after a long deliberation. Um, we, we actually, we took a couple of years to, to deliberate and to pilot some, um, some programming here in Henry County. And we, because of the uh, generous, um, generous, funding from the Novo, Novo Foundation, uh, we were able to launch a tuition-free two-year degree completion program uh, that's delivered entirely here in Henry County through a collaboration with Sterling College, which provides our accreditation and the kind of the backside services of a college and allows us to use Henry County as our classroom and to collaborate in ways that I, to my, to my mind and understanding are really quite unprecedented in higher education. Um, they're actually able to uh, see that the stakes of, of the work that they undertake in their classroom is, is real. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes a difference in this place. It makes a difference for them as well as for the people with whom they're learning. Oh. Leah, if you will, give us a, uh, a profile of, uh, of the students. Uh, uh, how many uh, have been through the program in just the three years or so that you've, a couple of years that you've had the program? Um, are, what, what's their classroom like? Um, is it the open field? Um, um, j just sort of an outline. So people that understand the traditional uh, campus or college classroom it's it's much it's that but much more yeah sure so um, we have as I, as I mentioned this is a tuition free program we have cohorts of 12 students at a time they are they stay work learn with us for two years uh, it, primarily uh, in the field so to speak here in Henry County and they are uh, really, uh, we've, we've had one cohort who has uh, just finished up in May of 2021. And then our second cohort just started this past August. Um, our students in many ways run, run a kind of demographic gamut. Um, our, our recruitment uh, priority is uh, to make sure that the folks who participate in our program uh, intend to make farming their vocation. Um, so while all of the uh, kind of affiliate programs related to especially sustainable agriculture uh, curriculum, um, those kinds of affiliated programs are really important. Our focus is very much on um, folks who intend to farm. And what we, uh, what we do it, with our curriculum then is as one that is really founded in the liberal arts, which of course means that it's founded in critical thinking, is that we provide particular kinds of hands-on experiences, both in the, in, in the field, in the forest, uh, working with uh, draft animals and combustion engine and livestock and um, uh, perennial, different forms of perennial agriculture, as well as working with community organizations and um, honing leadership skills. So we provide the kind of particularity of those learning experiences in ways that also develop their critical thinking skills so that they can then transfer those skills and foundational principles and understanding of, of agricultural production, ecological production um, systems, uh, 
in such a way that they can apply that in lots of different types of, 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 uh, of farming, you know, farming endeavors. Um, so we have, a, to your question about what does the classroom look like, um, it started out being the room in which we're sitting right now, which is the Barry Center's boardroom. And um, that was wonderful and, um, and crowded. <laughs> And so uh, the um, the Barry Center uh, recently had the opportunity to purchase um, a, a building. It's called the Heritage Building, which is right next door. Um, and so we have a, a large um, kind of community room that we use for our indoor classroom space. Um, about seventy five percent of the of the the kind of the traditional classroom time is spent out of doors and out in the community. So uh, we have a, uh, the Berry Center Farm uh, also recently purchased for, um, for our educational use, as well as for um, our home place meets educational use, um, a 200 acre farm, which is in uh, the Port Royal area. Um, we have about 50 acres of woodland and uh, we have uh, hay and pasture. And so we have just started the, um, the kind of the early phases of of, um, of building the infrastructure of that farm and students learn what it's like to come onto a farm and know that you need to do fencing work and know that you've got to map out where, you know, what take an inventory of what you have and then map out in a very, uh, you know, in, in as much as you can be deliberate, also flexible <laughs> in um, establishing your operations. So they've got the kind of the real lived experience of what that looks like and what that feels like. And then sometimes the joys and frustrations of that as well. Um, so that's, uh, there's nothing, honestly, there's, there's very little about this that is conventional. Um, and, except to say that we are really, trying to make sure that students understand the, um, the agrarian arts and sciences in ways that are uh, recognizable from an academic sense, but also expand beyond that so that they see them within the context of a community in a place. I'm going to say that um, while I agree that the education that Leah and her um, colleagues are offering is not conventional at this point, I will say that I think that the education offered by um, land-grant universities and so on is truly the radical education. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's totally separated from, and teaches yeah. that farming is separated from the natural order of things. And so what we're trying to do is just bring it back to the ground, which is what we're trying to do in every way. We're trying to say, um, we are saying that um, art is not separated into high and low. The art of the commonplace, as my father called one of his uh, books, is 
absolutely essential to the culture that the uh, people who love what they're doing, who love their place, who love um, their neighbors and who think about generations to come, the opportunity that those people would have to love a particular place. Um, this education program was really the first thing, as, as Leah said, that we got going and it came from an idea of our friend Wes Jackson, who started the Land Institute in Kansas, who gave a commencement um, address in the 90s, I believe. And he said in that commencement address, the primary major in colleges and universities for, I believe he said 30 years, although it's been longer, certainly mm -hmm. longer now, has been upward mobility. Education means you get out of physical work, separation. And we, so, but now he said, our, um, we need education for homecoming. What will it take for people to live in particular places and not pass the cost on to the future for the things that they're doing? So the, the, that's what everything we're doing here is about, holding on to what we've got and building. Um, a land-based culture, economy, mm -hmm. that may, will make possible an economy of cooperation, not competition. Um, uh, the idea that people can follow callings. Um, this is just, you know, that, I, I, well. Well, we'll, we'll uh, return to that uh, theme um, right after uh, a short break. I'm talking with Mary Berry, the executive director of the Berry Center. Uh, Leah Bands is joining us. She's the dean of the Sterling College uh, uh, Wendell Berry Farm Program. And Beth Douglas is part of the program uh, offerings uh, from the Berry Center. Uh, program is really not the right word. Uh, she's, uh, she's producing the, uh, the stuff we put on our table, uh, our home place meet. And uh, right after this uh, word from our Underwriters uh, Spalding University will be right back and talk with them a little bit more. So here's that word from our wonderful friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, or writing for TV, screen, and stage. Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies, or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing, or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Mary, let me ask, um, and maybe this would be something that uh, that all three of you would would add to. And I, I took this right off of your your website. A couple of questions that you uh, put on there under your your vision uh, statement um, about maybe some of these youngsters uh, that are uh, attending Sterling uh, Sterling College uh, and the farm program, the Wendellberry Farm Program. What will it take for farmers to be able to afford to farm well? What's the answer to that? 
Well, first of all, I think we've got to get serious about um, what we what we really want. Um, do we want our to again quote my father? But nearly everything I say is a quotation <laughs> from my father, unless it's really obnoxious, and then it's or probably- or from your mother, or from my mother. <laughs> yeah. um, are we going to take care of our land and our people or are we not? Um, and that's the climate change conversation. That's, there's so many conversations. That's the, the problems that we're having in our cities. The problem with, uh, with um, all the problems in West Louisville and so on. Are we going to figure out how to take care of our land and our people? Well, we're, first of all, in the bigger sense, not going to become a just society as long as we have an economy that destroys the land and the people. And so far, um, we've had decades of saying that's just fine. It is just fine to destroy the land and to destroy the people if it gets what, if it funnels our raw materials, coal, timber, um, food from rural places into urban places and we keep it as cheap as we possibly can. I think we're getting to the time that we just can't go on pretending that that's just fine. Um, We can't build urban prosperity on rural poverty forever, which is what we've been doing for a long time. So first of all, I think we all have to get, uh, as they say, real about that. And we're also going to have to get real about the fact that we're just not going to be able to tweak this a little. Solar panels aren't going to fix everything. Um, uh, Technology in one form or another is not going to fix everything and allow us to continue to live the way we live and to have the values that we have. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. So then I think that asks us to look at our particular places, places that we love, places that we are capable of loving. I remember years ago going to a meeting and being asked, I was asked to write a a paper about why I live where I live. And um, I wrote in that paper that if I think of the global economy, if I think globally, um, I just feel pretty much entirely useless. So if I bring it down to the country, my, my, the nation that I live in, well, I, I, I must say I, I can vote and I can do those things, but I still don't feel very effective. So then down to the Kentucky, in my case, Kentucky, and then down to the county, And at that point, I was farming full-time down to the farm. Well, the farm where I lived on uh, at that point, what I did mattered absolutely. So um, I think that we have been a bit duped about thinking globally, although caring, caring about what happens in the world is necessary. Of course it is. But to think about going to work, we've got to go to work where we are. So we used at the Berry Center what we knew we had, um, a well-watered landscape, something of an agrarian culture left, 
the memory of a, of a co-op that worked very well for farmers and for the land. Um, and so we took what we had and we went to work where we are. So I think that's one answer to how, how are farmers gonna be able to afford to farm well? Well, we're gonna have to take it, we're gonna have to break it back down and um, say we, we're gonna have to use different standards um, we're going to have to care about the people who raise our food instead of just talking like it's a good idea to care. Meanwhile, large corporations take the language and take the market. So um, I, I don't, I think actually all of that is really, really hopeful. I think it's depressing to try to solve the problems of the globe, but I think it's hopeful to think we can do the right thing that needs doing that's right in front of us to do. We can do that. And so let's do it. Let me uh, not uh, end our conversation without uh, just mentioning, uh, as uh, uh, Leah did just a moment ago, I believe, the, the Agrarian uh, Culture Center uh, and, and bookstore, which is marvelous. And uh, if you don't do anything at all in the next uh, a few months after you uh, hear this uh, podcast is to uh, take a trip to, to Newcastle and, and visit uh, the area, visit Newcastle, first of all, and get some home cooking, number one and number two, um, visit the bookstore. Uh, but, but how important is that to, uh, you're, you're now, you've cultivated, uh, or at least you have uh, constructed this in a way that, that you're getting researchers and historians and all sorts of people that are visiting uh, you for the purpose of just, um, learning more about the agrarian uh, lifestyle and what you're trying to do there. Is that correct? It is correct. Um, I think that, that uh, again, we have accepted the fact that we don't have an agricultural problem. We have a cultural problem. So all the, the programs at the Berry Center are meant to deal with the culture, um, the economy, the education, all of it, all of it. All of it needs to be worked on. Possibly, I might have started a little too much, but it's so far so good. <laughs> and, um, and you mentioned home cooking. We are about to have a new restaurant open in Newcastle in two weeks. Oh. So not only you really can come get some good home cooking um, and you can get food, you can get a hamburger made from our home place meat, Burger provided by Henry County Farmers. Beth, are you going to be in the kitchen? No, sir. But I will be in the market where we sell all of the cuts of Roseville and also of our beef. You know, I we we've gone on a while, but I just uh, I, I'm I'm from rural Kentucky myself. Uh, left, came back, all of that. I have some some rural roots. Honestly, uh, in big cities where I lived and, and now back to uh, Kentucky, I've never really understood this. <laughs> we are a, a rural uh, agricultural state, and I've never understood why we have to import our food. That is, see, that's exactly where we have to start our thinking, why, why is this so? And then if you think why, and you're really interested, and I, I mean, I call, I call everyone 
uh, call out everyone to do this. Why does then at, look for the answers? Why is it this way? It's crazy. That's why <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> because we want it cheap. Um, you know, we're suffering from um, policy that started in the fifties under Eisenhower with Benson. I can't. Uh, Benson is what I'll say was the he was the um, secretary of agriculture under Eisenhower. And it was said then there are too many farmers. We need fewer farmers. We need to put them into it, put them to work in the industrial world and their land. If we need fewer people farming, um, that land is more important to other things. Uh, we need some of it to farm, but we need a, we need most of it to do something else with. Um, we're still suffering from that. The USDA has never said, has never retracted that. They've never said, okay, three quarters of 1% is few enough. Um, and as long as we can import food as we are, then I think very few people, um, Bill, will think the very good thought and the very good question that you just put to us. Why is it this way? And can will this work forever? No, it won't. Well, that's um, where you're a lot more hopeful than some people. And, um, and with uh, all of the work that you're doing, all, all you, all of you, and and the one, your your cohorts, uh, the, and the work uh, that you're doing, we can we can all be maybe a little bit more hopeful that this is going to uh, to turn out a little bit better than um, than we we think it might. Um, I know all of you know uh, Nick Offerman. I just heard him on a uh, an Ezra Klein podcast just a few weeks ago, and he was. Uh, as you know, he's not only in uh, was in praise of of Wendell Berry's work, uh, but your work too, and your uh, your work that that you're doing uh, outside of just uh, what people know um, Mr. Wendell Berry uh, for, but uh, for the uh, nature and the way that you are uh, working very hard to make this a reality. Um, I don't guess you could get a a, a bigger name or a star. Uh, uh, then Nick Offerman to uh, to carry your water for you. Um, Let me so. just tell you what Nick Offerman has given me besides friendship and as much and a lot of help. Uh, he has allowed me to impress my children. And uh, for years, I would say, you know, I met so and so, and my kids. Well, they really didn't care. So the one day this guy named Nick Offerman called the office and wanted to talk to me. I had not heard of him, nor had I seen the show Parks and Recreation. <laughs> But I said to my children later, you know, this guy named Nick Offerman called. And so for about 10 minutes, I was cool and uh, amounted to something. Yeah. Well, he's, um, he's a disciple and uh, he, he preaches the, the gospel and uh, does it on a national scale. And that, that, that has to help. So um Thank you all for joining uh, me today on the Think Humanities podcast. Uh, it is a, a program that more people should know about and should be involved in, should contribute to, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and visit. So uh, I thank you all for, for talking uh, to me today. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your help to us, Bill. 
Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.